When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify. The global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. We're about to dive into part two of this incredible conversation with Tim Urban. His TED Talk got over 65 million views. And when you hear this episode today, you're going to understand exactly why. And Forbes magazine called his blog a global movement. In this part, take a deep dive with us as Tim breaks down power games, liberal games, and what may be one of the best alternatives I've ever heard for equal opportunity. And did you know Impact Theory is now available on Amazon Music? Head over there right now. Subscribe for more amazing conversations just like this one. Do not wait. Subscribe to Impact Theory on Amazon Music right now. I'm Tom Bilyeu, and welcome to Impact Theory. All right, talk to me about power games versus liberal games, because this feels like I love your optimism that ultimately liberal games will work. But uh, like I was saying earlier, none of this made sense to me until I till I started reading uh, Nietzsche and the whole idea of will to power. Um, will to power being this sort of innate thing where you want to have control of your own life, but also being this strong drive to want to just be in control. And when you look at the some of the current battling, it feels like that. It feels like will to power sort of taking over on both sides. Um, how, what, what is the power game versus liberal game? And then we'll talk about how to break the trend. Well, I mean, I, I, the, for, the easiest way to understand what the power games is, is just look at the animal world. Watch a David Attenborough documentary. And Where they get eaten. I just literally today watched a uh, Komodo dragon, which gets fucking big. I can't believe they're real. Like it's, like, Dude, it's crazy. Oh my God. Uh, and it ate something the size of a deer. I don't know if it was a deer, gazelle, whatever. It just ate it whole. Yeah. It just ran up, it's a dinosaur. grabbed it, yeah. literally, and swallowed that thing whole. It was the creepiest thing I've ever seen in my life. Right. So, yeah. so let's talk about that. So the Komodo dragon ate the gazelle. Yup. Was that fair? Well, well, well I don't know. So, and, and, and who determined? Because the gazelle yeah. had one plan. I want to keep my body for myself and, and, and keep living. And the Komodo dragon had a different plan, which said, I want to use your body for energy. I want to eat it, right? And, and they both, and it's fair, right? they both are allowed to want that. Mm-hmm. So was there a judge that said the Komodo dragon gets to eat? No. The, if the, the gazelle is fast enough, then the gazelle has the power. The Komodo dragon can want, it all, uh, can want to eat the gazelle all at once, but doesn't have the power to. So it can't. In this case... The gazelle wasn't fast enough. The Komodo dragon was fast enough. So it had the power to do what it wanted. In other words, the rule in the animal world is everyone can do whatever they want if they have the power to do so. There is no other rule. There's no right or wrong. There's no one to make sure it's all okay. If someone has the power to do this, they do it. And otherwise you can't. And now think about a bunch of 
people on an island. Just drop them there, right? And before you know, they might create some little egalitarian thing. And then someone starts being really scary and beating someone to death who doesn't do what they want and starts saying, everyone has to pay me taxes. And they're acting like a mafia boss. And before you know it, they're a big bully. And then five people gang up together and they together can take down that big bully. And now they're in charge. And before you know it, the biggest bully is the dictator of the island. And that is the power games. That is that that you know was Saddam running things the way he was running because it was fair because it was right he was doing because he had the power to do so because because he people were scared of him and so he created this story of his own ruthlessness and people were scared of it and so people would like to topple him but they didn't have the power to do so so he got to make the rules and do what he wanted regardless of what's fair regardless of who's suffering and who's not and whether there's equality or whatever. That is so much of human history, too. If you just – it boils down to the gazelle and the Komodo dragon. It is uh, – the the raw power games are going on and the real rule here in this dictatorship or kingdom or sultanate or the, the warlord territory is everyone can do what they want if they got the power to do so. And the dictator and their con- little consortium has the power to do what they want, so they do. And other people don't, so they can't. We are animals, just like we, we, we are just like the animals in David Attenborough, Doc. The only difference is in some rare cases in modern times and maybe in little examples throughout other times. There are times, there are little moments in history where you're like, wow, they really kind of had an egalitarian or like a fair thing. And then it gets toppled by the Mongols or by the, you know, whoever. And there it goes because, um, or, or some coup and the king's son takes over and all those rules go out the window. So you have these little moments, maybe of things seem kind of fair. Maybe there's some logic to this. It's not just the power games. And then they, then they get conquered by the, stomped on by the power games. And so the power games continues to prevail. And it's the, it really is the rule and everything else is an exception until you've got these liberal democracies which starts, which are basically designed to say, we can, we need to come up with a way not just that's fair and that's that's better than the power games, but something that's resistant to the power games. Inevitably, people inside and outside the country are going to try to take over and impose the power games, and there has to be this this resistance to that. And so that's when again I talked about the liberal house. That to me is a house where the power games are on the outside. What's the key to that? That uh, is it the ability to create a stalemate? Is it uh, just we force ideas to battle? What what is it that gives it that resilience? I, so first of all, it's a very well set, well thought out set of rules. I mean, these are geniuses who are not just coming up with them themselves. You're talking about the founding fathers. The founding fathers. Not only are they really very really unpopular smart, these days. Well. I think that people should try living in a place that's run like the power games and maybe they'll come back here and say they they didn't do something so bad. But anyway, um, and of course they were flawed, but what they did was they did two things. They they were historians. They knew history really well, right? They 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 knew everything. They 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 knew everything, you know, from Greek philosophy to how the Romans functioned, to how great dictatorships functioned, and then they uh, of course understood the, the you know the English monarchy and parliament system really well. So they had all of this, and they they had all this Enlightenment philosophy that they were all scholars on. Uh, they also were all they all went to law school. They really understood like you know uh, legal theory and everything like that. And then they collaborated together. And they did something amazing, which is they they built a really, really complex and well thought out set of rules. Um, it's I don't even understand them. I mean, I don't think most Americans. It's really complicated. Try to understand like tort law. I mean, it's really it's really, but they but it was the, it was so brilliant about it is uh, it was it was not just a set of rules, but it was rules. It was it, they had a humility, which is that some of these are going to be wrong or times are going to change. So they actually they could, you could do an, you could do amendments. Uh, the court. 
justice system would actually develop and evolve through precedent over time. And um and and a president could come in and impose a new bill and 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 sign something new into law and you know you, you, they didn't anticipate the need for you know trust busting and you know you know uh but you know breaking up of monopolies oh, oh, oh. you know cuz then that together. became an issue later and so they you know whatever and so there continues to be you know new changes and then uh the system is able to um, argue and fight about it and end up coming to, uh, you know, new rules that contain. So it's just rules are built upon rules and it's far from perfect, right? It's, it's, it has all kinds of problems. There have been a lot of flaws and, you know, but it, um, it's this kind of, it's almost like this living system of rules. Now that's, that's, again, that's half of it. The other half is that America has like a re- American religion. We believe, you know, all men are created equal and equality of opportunity and you know, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness and free speech. And that, you know, you'll have, um, you know, you know, Americans really have this religion of freedom from the government and, 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 you know, and, um, and, and justice and fairness and whatever. Again, a lot of Americans haven't always followed that, but there is this, this real ethos and together it is the really, really well thought, thought out set of living laws and that enduring ethos that is without that ethos who's going to uphold the law i mean if you if you if no one believes in it it's it all goes to hell so it's this belief in it this this reverence for those set of laws that together is robust and it can stand up to a lot i mean there's a great quote from i forget who it was some republican strategist in the early 50s and he was basically saying um he he was saying that you know Americans are acting you know, who are so scared of communism they're acting like the very people that they're so scared of they're 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 not you know we are not acting like Americans you know that means something you know, again Reagan and Hillary Clinton uh, completely opposed ideologically say the same thing about the peaceful transition of power so there's this American religion which is very powerful uh, and so that to me is the liberal games the liberal games is composed of these laws and this ethos and and, and this belief in those laws that together has at least for a couple hundred years pretty much fended off the power games. Like there's, you know, I always think, you know, we we give terrorists a fair trial. Someone can come to the U.S. from outside the U.S. and kill a hundred people and they will get a defense attorney and they will get into a jail cell and they will get a defense attorney and they'll get a fair trial. That is so civilized. I mean, sometimes I'm just like, damn, that is so, you know, like um, – it's it's not the power games here. And, you know, again, it's the power games are always lurking under the surface, right? Mm-hmm. And so you could say, oh, there's, you know, crony capitalism and there's, there's you know, there's institutional racism and there's there, there there's these, you know, these things that are actually the power games in disguise. And that's true. But it, it has, power games can't fully take over. The liberal games is really powerful and really strong. And uh, I think people who live here, they, they don't realize how much suffering they're not experiencing that so many of the people in the past experienced and uncertainty and fear of invasion and fear of, you know, dictatorship and fear of a coup that you just don't have to wake up and be scared of that. You can go live your life. And that is, and you also can go to the grocery store and it's full of, because it's liberal games also has been incredible for, you know, for prosperity and for resources. So, um, I'm a, I'm a big liberal games fan and, and, and someone might say, well, you think liberalism is perfect. And I'd say, no, I bet in 300 years, if I went into a time machine, I bet they come up with something even better. It's just at this moment, it's the best thing that we've done as far as I've seen. You know, I'd like someone to tell me that actually this system, which was very anti-liberal, has been better and for just as many centuries. And show, show it to me. Like someone points it out, I'll, I'll listen. Mm. That's interesting. The time horizon being one of the key elements of it. 
because, and maybe I'm painting the liberal picture inaccurately, but it feels to me like there isn't ever going to be anything better than what I call the physics of progress, which is essentially the scientific method recontextualized for other elements of life. Um, this was me trying to teach entrepreneurs how to build a company, knowing that if you want to be a successful entrepreneur, the thing you have to get right is you have to be able to solve novel problems. So not only problems that you haven't seen before, but problems nobody's ever seen before. And so it takes a method of approach. So I write this whole thing down. How do I do this? How have I run my companies? And uh, I end up writing out like these five or six points and I pitch it to my team here and I'm like, here's what it is. And one of the guys goes, oh, that's the scientific method. And I was like, is it really? <laughs> like, I unfortunately did not pay attention in high school. Uh, and so I went and yes, it, in fact, it is. I mean, it's a slight different set of words, but exactly the same idea. And it is basically going back to my definition of truth, that you're a prediction engine. Uh, if you're in science or otherwise, what you're doing is saying, uh, I have this hypothesis, which is just a guess. I have a guess that if I do this thing, it will yield this outcome. And in business, you're doing it in a motivated way. So it's like, hey, I'm trying to get to this outcome. And there's an obstacle between where I'm at and where I want to get. And I have a hypothesis about what I need to do to overcome that obstacle to get where I want to go. Then you're going to do it. And now this is where, going back to this idea of your ego, if your ego's around learning, this will work well. If it's around being right, you're going to be in real trouble. But you run that experiment with a metric in mind that this metric is success. So if you're the Democratic Party or the Republican Party, it's like, hey, we're going to run this campaign and success is we get elected um, ethically, maybe the right word. And so you try it, and if you get elected, it was the right thing. And if you don't, it wasn't. And if it wasn't, then you need to look with humility at, okay, what did I do wrong? What could I do better the next time? And then you go reformulate your thing that works in business, works in science, works anywhere. Only thing that's different in science is you don't want motivated thinking. You shouldn't be trying to get to a specific place other than, I guess you could say, understanding. We want to understand better what is true. Um, and so that becomes... I think a really important thing that if people can begin to function from that perspective of, okay, I'm trying to predict the outcome of my behaviors. I need to look nakedly at the reality of whether this worked or not. And if it doesn't, I'm going to adjust my behaviors and keep going. Um, that becomes a very tricky thing if people have motivated reasoning, which you talk about in the book. I forget you used a really clever phrase Maybe reasoning just, while motivated. Yes, reasoning like while equi motivated. The, exactly the reasoning right. equivalent of drunk driving. Yes, <laughs> very well said. Yeah, very well said. So yeah, I don't see a way around that. That feels like you said there might be something better than liberalism. If that is liberalism, um, I'll be very surprised if there is something better. The sort of fine tuning of the mechanics of how government works. Sure, I'm sure that can be. Better. I mean, the other the underlying concepts that individuals should have dignity and like live you know, with equal under the law. I mean, it's going to, it's, it's hard for me to imagine a better, a, but so the underlying see. philosophy there, you know, of just general human rights, mm. equality of opportunity. I mean, it's hard to see that improving upon that. Now the actual methods to get there and all the different systems and laws and, you know, the way we try to think how complicated equality of opportunity is. We don't just say, okay, everyone can apply for a job. Well, some people's parents were oppressed by other people's, you know, it's, 
like it's complicated. So you have to have, you know, this and then and then what if someone's born dirt poor and they don't have it's not actually equal opportunity. OK, so let's do these social systems, but not too much because now you're infringing upon freedom and you're you're so it's it's very, very, you know, nuanced and complex mm. attempt to, to this is really things. interesting. So now you get into um, something that really does sound better. Like if you just came to me out of the blue and said, hey, right now we're doing equal opportunity, but we want to do equal outcome. I'd be like, oh, word? Like that sounds a lot better. So that would be something where I would say, I get why people get behind that. From where I'm sitting, that seems destined to fail though, once you stop and think about it based on human nature. Mm-hmm. Um do you agree with that? Or do you think that, no, there really is, we really ought, that's probably the right word to use, we really ought to strive for equal outcome? Well, it's a hard one because, um, you you know, if it depends how deep you go. You can say if two people are able to, you know, freely, no matter who, who they were born as, try to become a billionaire, um, then there's equal opportunity. Someone else could say, well, if someone's born with a lot more, uh, that, you know, a lot more money in their family in connection, someone else is born into poverty and you know that it doesn't track well, what? Yeah, that doesn't track well. Right. Being, being born rich is, does not track. Okay. Well, whatever it is, if they're born, you know, um, uh, that's not true, right? If, yeah, it is true. You're saying people that are born into abject poverty do just as well as people that are born into definitely the not. Top. But right. being being born rich doesn't okay. Do, it like doesn't track at all. Sure. So the reason I interrupted you yeah. is because I think that there is a there's only is it the only thing? There's almost only one thing that there's two things that matter. There we go. That breaks my hesitation. There are two things that matter. One is IQ. It matters so much. And then the other is basically the zip code you're born into, which I, God, this is going to be controversial, but I really believe this having seen it up close. It's mindset and IQ. Those are the only two things that matter. Okay, but people who are born in, you know, into a two-parent family mm-hmm. um, are so much less likely to end up in jail, in, you know, in poverty. I think that's mindset. Maybe. I'm very and, open. Beat me to death. Show me how I'm wrong. No, I mean you might be right. I, I actually I don't I don't I don't know that much about this. I would say that there are so okay. So here's the thing: you could say, um, you know, d- different zip codes, different whatever. You know, there is something to wealth in terms of just the aggregate of a bunch of people born to people who, who are upper middle class versus people who are in the bottom ten percent. I mean, you're just going to see a lot less crime, a lot more whatever. You might say that's mindset and IQ, maybe. I don't know. But the point is it's not IQ, unfortunately. Okay. Mindset, yes. But so if you Actually, really want equal opportunity, mm-hmm. um, then like you could argue that true equal opportunity would say, well, then if someone is born with two two different IQ right, or different temperament or whatever, then they're not actually on equal footing. And that, that and therefore, any single disparate, you know, disparate outcome, well, you can trace it to something. You can trace it to their internal motivation. And maybe someone's just more ambitious and cares more about success and other people are, you know, okay, well, they were, that's not equal then. Yes. They were born with this magical, you know, tool called ambition, whatever. So you could do this all the way to the bottom. Now, mm-hmm. I don't think that's very wise because- Interesting, why not? Well, first of all, I think that it's inf- inherent fr- infringement on freedom to say, well, person A is less ambitious than person B, so we should make sure they have equal. I think person B wants to be ambitious and work hard to get rich, and person A wants to hang around and r- r- hang out with their family and and be satisfied to be lower middle class. I, I don't see why it's a better situation to force 
force them to have the same. Um, I like the idea of freedom, and I think that people should. There's, you know, we, we really, you know, there, there's these studies with little kids, and one kid does three times the work of the other kid, and then they're both given the same reward, and they actually, the kids think that's unfair. It goes deep into our, like, wiring to mm. think that you should get, you know, proportional rewards to your effort and to your contribution or whatever. So uh, I think people should be free to pursue, you know, what 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 they what they want. And, and the point. So you on one extreme, you say if 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 there isn't some actual thing where jobs aren't accepting people from this background or whatever, because that's actually not equal. Then therefore, it's equal opportunity enough, and what will happen will happen. And then the other extreme is saying inherently anything that's different you could trace to something that was different about them maybe it's literally their brain itself but that's not fair because they didn't choose to be born as a as this person and so then you should have basically you true equal opportunity means equal outcomes um and i would say i'm two-thirds, three-quarters of the way to the first extreme, which is that I think that you should mostly have equal opportunity and it's not, and that is inherently going to be unfair sometimes and it's going to yield inequality and it's going to sometimes yield unfair advantage. Um, and But you should do some stuff to mitigate that. You know, you should have some forms of social safety net and you should have scholarships and programs that try to give ambitious, smart people of, you know, disadvantaged backgrounds, a better, you know, springboard to, to I, I think that you should have some of that, but just a, enough that, you know, you're doing something, but not so much that you're starting to infringe upon freedom. So I think there's a fairness. There's two factors here. There's what is the right thing to do? What is fair? And to me, I think that almost equal opportunity with some, you know, some adjustments is still unfair. But these are all unfair. And to me, that is the best balance uh, that makes the, the most fair situation, even though, again, it's just not always – there's not one situation that's – if you, you force equal outcome, that's just not fair to the person who works harder than the other. But then there's also what's practical. And so equal, op, equal outcomes – we've tried it. It turns into abject poverty and brutal – equal outcomes, mm. right? It, it turns into – uh, the 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 rulers making the rules have billions, and everyone else is in poverty. And there's you know everyone's hungry. Why do you think that is? I th I think it's, it's it's I mean again I'm not a scholar on why communism doesn't work, but it seems partially because human nature. I think if what do you, you have mean by that okay if you have ten factories and uh and they're and they're in a free market, they're all incentivized to try to outcompete the other factories and work really hard. Um, and, and, uh, and, and if one of the factories is producing half of the total yield of the 10 factories, um, they would get a lot more. And if you change that system, you say, it's a matter how much you're all producing, you're all going to end up with one tenth of the total yield. It's obviously not a disincentive for the productive factor. How did the fact productive factory get productive in the free market? It, 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 it thought really hard about strategy. It worked extra hard. It worked those extra hours. It innovated. All those extra things, super hard work, innovative, you know, just the, the, the human spirit of like, how can we, you know, be creative here? It, it's going to melt away. Not some people will still have it, but most people are going to, I mean, I'm, I, I don't think I'd be nearly as ambitious if I knew I was going to have the same outcomes, not just in money, but in anything. Just if I knew that it might, what I did didn't have any outcome on, on my life. Mm. I'm not that, 
I, I, I'm, I'm kind of a lazy dude. I don't think I would do very much. I don't think anybody would. Right. And so it's obvious. I mean, this is, this is, this is kind of like human 101 that like this is not a good situation for, for prosperity. And inherently, the other thing is that it, it's, it requires totalitarian government to keep everyone equal. You have to shove – humans are so inherently unequal in so many ways that to make them all equal, you have to really apply a pretty oppressive force. Mm. And so what you end up with is the power games where you have you know a brutal dictator uh, who – and you have rebellions that want to happen and they have to put down the rebellions. And you end up with the, the, the leaders have everything and you have the most inequality. It's just now there's a vast underclass. So now I think lots of communists would say – what they do say is that the, that's not real communism. That's a dictatorship that was supposed to be communism just like you would say wokeness isn't real social justice. That's not real communism. OK, sure. But there's been 100 experiments or so and they've really – they've all pretty much turned into abject poverty. So it's just – this is not like – I'm just basing, basing this on history – going full to the end of forcing equal outcome, even if in some arguments you might say that is the fairest way. Okay, that's one philosophical position. I don't necessarily think that's true. But regardless of the fairness argument there, it, it just is deeply impractical. So you can't not think about practicality. And so to me, the U.S. is trying to, I think that, and again, just right here, you have the Republicans and Democrats disagree on where they should be on that spectrum of equal. So I don't know where I should, where I want to be exactly. I don't know, but I would say I'm, Three quarters of the way to the pure equal opportunity free markets and one quarter of the way to the forced equal outcome. And that to me is somewhere in there seems to me, and I admit that I might be wrong about any of that, seems like the best balance of fairness and and productivity. So interesting. So yeah, the whole communist thing, I don't understand. This feels like one that people can eliminate at the thought experiment place to what you already said, which is no one is going to work hard and be ambitious if they're going to be rewarded in exactly the same way across the spectrum. Did you read the book, uh, The Red Famine? No. Oh, if you want to terrify yourself, read The Red Famine. It's So I like to read books as I'm falling asleep. I couldn't do that one while falling asleep because in the book, there is a point at which, so this is what happened to the Ukraine in like the 1920s. Um, and uh, about the time the woman ate her seven-year-old, I was like, I'm out. Uh, I have to read this while I'm awake. I can't, I can't do as I'm drifting off sleep. It's fucking nightmarish. And, uh, that's what happens when you go, okay, everybody, um, to each according to their need based on your ability. Fuck. I can't remember the exact, exact phrase. Hopefully people know it. Um, the whole mantra of communism. And so they went and they were like, oh, the kulaks are outperforming other people. They must be evil. They're stealing. They're taking advantage of people. Uh, so they killed them. And in doing so, they then left, nobody knew how to farm. So you have the worst farmers trying to feed the country. Everybody's basically starving to death. The government's taking everything from them. And so the hard reality, and please, I hate this. I hate that this is true, but we have different abilities. We have different levels of intellect. And, and I do not think this breaks along racial, socioeconomic, it's just humans in the same family have different intellects and abilities and all that. And so it's- Just look at athleticism. Facts. Why would this be different, right? Facts. It's just, right. So uh, so that one is just, you You are going to put yourself in a really dark position when you do that. Uh, so I, 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 I will often speak on, people always say, just don't talk about things, Tom, that you don't know and you'll be fine forever. 
I like to talk about things <laughs> as a way of saying, this is how I would think through a problem that is novel. Going back to my whole thing about entrepreneurs, mm -hmm. you have to be able to think through a novel problem. So I obviously do not know what the answer to any of this is. It is all insanely complicated. And I come to this truly with humility. I come to this assuming I'm wrong at all times. I just want someone to show me how I'm wrong. But I do need a hypothesis, which is just a guess, but I need a hypothesis in order to effectuate action. So here is my hypothesis you're never going to get equal outcome without the, the most sinister hammer to beat down the people that rise up because getting the people that are underperforming to rise is brutally difficult. It's just way, way, way too hard. It's, so people are always gonna default to beating the people that are succeeding down. But if you wanna get close to equal opportunity, it is when you take practicality into it, it's education is the only question. And you've got to just have the world's most unbelievably effective education system, which will take iteration and trial and error and all that stuff. But if you don't do that, if you don't say, hey, as a nation, we're just going to educate the life out of our populace, you're always going to be in bad shape. Yeah, I mean, when you educate, what you're doing is you're taking the raw um, talents and you're actually like bridging the gap between raw talent and productivity, right? Because there is a big gap there. If someone's born in the woods, if Einstein is raised in the woods by a pack of wolves, he won't even be able to invent the bow and arrow because it doesn't matter how smart he is. Um, there's this giant knowledge tower that humanity has contributed to over, you know, thousands of years and built that he was born on top of, just like we're all born on top of it. And with all of that, he then figured out general relativity. And so um, think about how much more Einstein could do for the world because he was educated. And so, of course, it's just that's the extreme example, but like every kid has some talent and some ability. And when you're educating them all, you're just, you're just maximizing the potential there. Um, and you're getting closer to something that is more fair, that is more, you know, you, you are, that is a way to level the playing field a little bit. Um, but there is an ethos in the U.S. right now that is not that different than this, that, that if there is inequality, it is – instead of saying – instead of the nuanced position, which is that there is some unfairness that created the inequality and that maintains it. And there's also some fairness actually that would lead to you know inequality. You have, a, you have a million people that are all different, different abilities, different ambition levels, different energy, different values. Uh, and you're going to have inequality. If if everything is as fair as possible, you're still going to have inequality. So um, instead of the nuanced thing, which is saying we have to look at, at inequality, um, whether it's not, you know, in, uh, unequal representation or whether it's in, uh, in wealth inequality, and we have to try to suss out what ingredients that went into this are injustice are, are, and which ingredients in here are not injustice because there's both. Instead, the ethos is, Injustice. Inequality equals injustice, period. And um, that to me is not an it, – it's, it's an ethos that it does not yield productivity or, or fairness in, in the end. And I think it's a very disempowering mm. – um, it's a very disempowering thing to teach kids that – this country, because there's inequality, is inherently oppressive. And I think it's just, just yeah, demotivating. So how do you deal with uh... – the country having an imperfect past being founded by people that owned slaves, at least some of them, um, 
how do you do that? Is it a separate the message from the messenger? Is it contextualizing them? Yeah, well, for, first of all, you have to contextualize everyone. I mean, nine, 96% of Americans in 1958 vote said that interracial marriage was immoral. Today, someone who says interracial marriage is immoral is probably a pretty bigoted person. So is everyone back then and, and someone that you wouldn't really want to be friends with or that you wouldn't admire. If I went back to 1958, would I would, – is everyone just that kind of person? No, it's that these are not people the worst than – they're no worse than we are. They just live in a different time, right? So it's not excusing it. It's just like it's not excusing the fact that people own slaves, especially given that some of them didn't, like John Adams and was saying this is bad and this is evil. And the, a lot of the founders who own slaves grappled with it. I mean they, they knew this was bad. But the point is, yes, I think of course it should be in context. But – If you want a fighting chance against the competition, you need to be using the best technology and platforms in the world like Shopify. For whatever and wherever you want to sell, from launching to going international, Shopify is the global commerce platform that will help you grow at every stage of your business. Shopify is your all-in-one platform to quickly and efficiently take your business to the next level. Now, I love everything about Shopify because it makes it so easy for you to start, run, and grow your business. It didn't used to be this easy. I'm telling you, back in the day, it was a lot harder. I'm so jealous. Shopify powers more than 10% of all U.S. e-commerce because businesses that want to grow quickly and efficiently choose Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash impact, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash impact now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash impact. If getting your hands dirty and taking good care of your car or cars is a passion of yours, then eBay Motors is here for the ride because I'm sure you remember when you first saw the potential in that beauty. And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you can make sure your ride stays running smoothly with eBay Motors. Brake kits, LED headlights, exhaust kits, turbochargers, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. But your your other point is that, like, the point is that, for example, black Americans are one generation away from Jim Crow. Uh, They're five generations away from slavery, you know, or maybe they're two from Jim Crow and five from slavery and one from a bunch of like, you know, housing policies and genuine illiberal, you know, examples of the house not being what it's supposed to be. Um, and so obviously uh, that is going to um, have, a, have a long-term effect given how much, you know, the, these things compound over time. And so uh, – as I said, I'm three quarters of the way to the equal opportunity thing. I think, oh, let's take that into account uh, and let's do something about it, but not go so overboard that you end up hurting everybody, which is I think a lot of the policy suggestions are go so overboard with that that they actually hurt everyone. Um, and, and it becomes unfair and it's not good for – I don't think it's good for any parties at that point. Mm-hmm. Any answer to me that doesn't include just an absolute um... – perfection of the education system is destined to fail. That's a tough one, though, because um, 
what do you educate kids on? You know, you know Seth Godin you has like this great in TED in alphabetical talk. order or order of importance? Well, uh, but the point is that a lot of people disagree on what. I mean, it's like you and I probably don't agree on everything and 100 no, other people. No, but you and I, I guarantee after this conversation, we would both say, okay, here's my stance. You say, here's your stance. And then we'd go, but we're going to predict an outcome. Yeah. And that we want a very desired outcome. And if what we're doing isn't getting that outcome, then we know we need to change. And we'll go into what I call the physics of progress and we'll keep refining, refining, refining. No, we're never going to get it right on the first swag. But I'm just saying there, there is a system that you can set up. This goes back to the idea of liberal values. And, and I do not know liberal values in that way well enough. Like I am so coming at all of this as like an entrepreneur who's just seeing everything from the outside now and coming in. So I could be using these words wrong. But like when I think about liberal values, I think about the scientific method. I think about enlightenment values. I think about, oh, I think doing this will yield this result. But if it doesn't, then I'm going to go, I was wrong. And I need to update my model of the world and my thinking. And I need to tweak and change until I can accurately predict the outcome of my behaviors. So I really want to believe and strike me down if I'm incorrect that if you and I were building the education system, we'd be like, okay, we're going to take our best guess. It's going to be a little wacky in the beginning. And then we're just going to refine, refine, refine. And we're going to try to put things in place, much like the founding of the US, where it's like, hey, wildly imperfect system, wildly imperfect people that have put this in place. So we want a system that will self-correct, self-heal, et cetera, et cetera, so that over time, it just gets better and better and better. True? Yes. I think you you talk about with entrepreneurship, you have a metric, which helps. You have something to measure. Yep. You know, here you could do test scores, but then you have teachers teaching to the test, right? You could you could say it's in in wealth, but maybe you have mass depression. You know, so it, it is also you have to figure out. It's it's a tough one because sometimes you're not going to see the results for twenty years, so it's also not a quick experiment. Yep. Of unfortunately, far longer than twenty years, I'm yeah, sure. Right, and so you're not going to see the results for a while, and it's also you have to also argue about what the metrics even are that you're going for. Mm-hmm. Um, are you trying to, you know? You know, it's, it's, it, and then there's also the weird, there's a lot of facts that, you know, there, there's, uh, a lot of education does not happen in schools as evidenced by the fact that so much, so many experiments, when they pour money into schools, it doesn't change anything about the test scores or the outcomes. And what changes it is how many books the parents have in the house. That's a metric that tends to track with success and with crime and stuff better than how much money was poured into their public school. So mm-hmm. it's also really complicated where education even happens. Agreed. But yeah, but that's exactly why what you're saying. But are you is, saying the problem is unsolvable? No, that's what I'm saying. That's why I agree with you actually, is that uh, you can't have just ideological approach to this. You have to say, okay, yeah, there's a lot of places education happens. There's a lot of potential things that we would want to educate kids on. And there's a lot of ways we can measure success and disagree on that. So I think that's the one thing we'd have to really is the think metric. about. Yes, because if you if you can't agree on what we're trying to do, now well, there's you some get obvious ones. It's obviously you want f- not fewer people in jail, right? That's a big one. Um, you know, uh, so c- crime is just at the at the at the you know that's that's that we can all agree on that. And then I think you could say, uh, po- you know, j- crime and poverty, right? So you want the most the highest percentage of kids emerging from or n- you know not falling into poverty later in life. Can I give you the highest level thing? What? I think the highest level thing is going to be human flourishing. We won't agree on what that means, but at least if we can steer towards, okay, human flourishing is our aim. Now let's work backwards and start defining that. Maybe it's happiness scores versus like, you know, you're measuring people's happiness. I'm going to get crazy here and I'm going to say we're going to take blood levels. 
because I'm going to get real weird on everybody. So I don't want a subjective measurement of happiness. I want an objective measurement of like stress markers. So looking at stress markers, looking at um, longevity, I guess you do want some subjective measurements of like happiness. Tell me, you know, are you living the life that you want um, so that you can get some adjustments? You want to look at what are markers of um, access to nutrition, uh, access to jobs. You, you certainly can't say that somebody is going to do well in that job or not because of all the things we talked about earlier. But are you able to access the information um, so that I know you at least have a shot. I don't know if it's a test or whatever, but that you have a shot to learn the thing that allows you to pass the test, that allows you to gain access to um, the knowledge that you would then need to apply for a job in your given thing. Look, it, this I don't know the answers. I want to be very clear. This is just me trying to see where the edges of how I think through the problem I feel are. like it would be maybe is also, it's like you might want to measure, you help kids understand all the options out there and get to know themselves well enough to figure out what they want in life. So that's half. And then how, what percentage of kids are getting what they want in life after they figure it out. So it's, it's, are they, are they learning about all the options and learning about themselves so that they actually develop goals wisely in a way that actually is like useful and then are how well are they achieving so it's like two things maybe i don't know mm. i don't know it's hard this to measure so complex i am i am way beyond what i'm I very feel happy like I understand. it's not my problem to do this because it just sets the most daunting issue because you know and it's also like yeah maybe you had uh you know billions of dollars and and a thousand test kids okay now we can really but that's not what you have you have these underfunded school districts and you have kids coming with behavioral problems and it's just like it's it's just also such a hard problem because it's like trying to run a business, but you're you're underfunded and you're half of your buildings on fire as you're trying to. So it's it's really difficult. Yeah, and I think in the beginning. So I'll, I'll take us off this topic in a second because I I clearly do not have deep wisdom here that I'm sharing, but uh, I do think that you also have to look at things like GDP. How are we performing at large? Okay, but maybe that so. goes against maybe maybe a bunch of people that are trained on an ideology where success and wealth is the most important thing. Maybe that's going to yield a good GDP, but you're, those stress markers in the blood are going to mm. go the exact wrong direction. So you also yeah, this that. is why you want people to be able to choose, and I think that's going to be one of the fundamental drivers. So you have people like me that want to just work and work and work and work and work because I love what I do and I derive meaning and purpose through that. And I just love it. I, I have been ambitious since I was a little kid. I sure to some extent I was born with it. Something about the family. I, was, I don't know, but I was an outlier in my family. Everybody thought I was crazy. I've been saying I'm going to get rich from the time that I was like 11 or 12. My entire family used to make fun of me, but there is not uh, it's not a coincidence that the one person in the family that was just obsessed and was like, I'm going to get rich, I'm going to get rich, ended up getting this rich. This is why equal outcome is not fair. I mean, forget all the controversial things about you can say about natural ability or about, you know, nepotism and um, and and starting place. Forget those. Just right there. You're more ambitious than your siblings with the same up- upbringing, probably pretty similar natural, you know, innate abilities. And as a kid, anyone would have told you that my sister was smarter than me right. for sure. And maybe she is. And the fact is, um, 
I don't think your sister would say it's so unfair that he has more money than I. She would say, well, yeah, he's nuts. He I don't goes want to work crazy like a maniac. Yes, right. This is yeah, exactly. Accurate. And so it's, 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 uh, it, it's just an equal outcome. You probably would have given less to the world. And yeah, so anyway, we don't have to go back onto that, but it's just a perfect example. Right there. Very interesting. Okay, so while we're on the topic of equal outcome, equal opportunity, uh, and I know that you look into the future. In fact, I think you're writing a book about the future. <laughs> Your face. It, it, it involves the future. <laughs> uh, would you, how do you feel about people manipulating the IQ of their offspring? Um, I, with caution, and I think just like anything, you know, think about, new technology that is developed well what do we do we, we we start to understand it we argue about it we have political fights about it we um we get wiser new kids are born with with fresher eyes on it and we see a bunch of bad mistakes that are made and we learn from them and over time we develop wise policies so with all of the usual you know friction i'm all for it because uh first I of all i wasn't expecting that answer I oh love it. yeah because well, right. first of all um, like you said, IQ matters. I mean, it's a predictor mm -hmm. of, of, you know, crime and success and mental health and happiness and all these other things. It, 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 I'm not sure about happiness, but it is predictor of all these things that are important in life. So more of it, I would say, is probably on the aggregate good. I think we can be better at solving problems. I think people can be better at getting what they want from life and, and, and living rich lives if they have a higher IQ. And I think that they, I think on the aggregate, um, I think we can solve more problems and be wiser um, together. Um, and, um, and, and, and um, the other bigger point here is that it's not like we're living this these like perfect life without manipulating anything in harmony with nature right now. And we're suddenly going to be doing this unnatural thing, playing God with our kids' brains. Every piece of fruit you eat has been invented by us. Your dog was invented by people inside. Inside doesn't exist. We invented the concept of being inside. We invented these mm -hmm. homes. Clothes. None of this is natural. The, the, the nutrition, the supplements you take. Um, the people get pacemakers in their heart. You go get surgery. You get an organ transplant, right? We are already completely weird transhumanists. I can talk to you from across the world with this rectangle in my hand. Like, that's a cyborg ability that we have just because it happens to be in my hand and not in my brain. Who cares? So we are already on this train. And it has overwhelmingly on the aggregate, made things better over time. I mean, some people might argue that the hunter-gatherers were actually way ha happier, maybe. But I don't want to go be a hunter-gatherer. So as someone who much prefers to be here um, with a long lifespan and general kind of freedom and safety and nutrition and options and... Um, I, uh, and I owe those things to all the weird things, you know, beavers build dams. Would you say beavers are playing God with the river? No, it's like, that's what they do. We happen to be mega beavers and we build all kinds of weird, we, they manipulate a river, we manipulate everything, right? And so of course you can go too far, you climate change, right? You can obviously like, uh, you can, you, you, this ability can get us into trouble. That's why you want to be wise. And sure, I'm sure the IQ manipulation of kids, genetic engineering, obviously that can go in really unwise, awful directions and there will be some horrible tragedies but just like cars come around million people maybe two million die every year in car accidents right i don't think many of us want to go back to horses so there will be tragedies it will come along with real downsides but the i think it'll be a giant net positive um over the long run or even 
I don't even have to say that that's strong. I'm not sure it'll be a net positive, but either way, it's what we do. It's we do we build all kinds of dams, and this is going to be the, the latest. And so we're not going to stop it. We're not going to stop human humanity from innovating. So the best we can do is say, okay, what have we learned from the giant technological paradigm shifts of the past? Let's try to be as wise as possible about this crazy thing that's going to happen. And the best thing we can do for this and all future crazy debates that we're going to have to have about these new things that are happening and how to handle them is scientific method stuff. Can we experiment? Can we argue? Can we have nuanced debates? Can we come up with wiser solutions? If 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 the genetic engineering thing becomes abortion and you have the pro this side and the pro this side, uh, forget it. Now the whole thing is just a religious war and no one's thinking and it's just if you if, and if someone on this side disagrees with their side, they're going to be ostracized. And so it could get there. And that's what part of what concerns me about our current political environment is that we have so many hard problems ahead. Big discussions we have to have as a species. And, you know, our society has to be able to have its wits about us. We have to have our wits about us going into this future where we're getting more godlike power and be wise about it because the stakes are going up. And when I hear about a debate like that, I just kind of have this uh, this nightmare scenario in my head of today's culture, you know, handling that. And I think very quickly you have th- this crew and this crew and this conspiracy theories and this, and it's just, yeah, we won't be wise. That's a great way for us to be our worst selves and make bad decisions and really screw things up. I wrote a comic book about this called Neon Future. Not not about this, but about this uh, culture making a very important decision about AI and robotics. And in the comic, my hypothesis is that the world will bifurcate and there will be people that are like, over my dead body, revert technology, go back to somewhere in the mid nineties, and then other people will embrace it wholeheartedly and that you'll get this schism. As you think about the realities of this culture is going to make decisions about AI, it's happening right now. Um, What do you think? Is this all going to go awry? Because we're having to contend this minute. I mean, it's any prediction I would make uh, is totally out of my ass because we haven't done this. It's like AI is the way to think about it is there's a super intelligent alien species on its way here. And we don't know if it's, we see the spaceship, we're not sure how fast it's moving. We know if it's four years away or 40 years away, but it's coming. And someone's like, well, I'm an optimist. Someone's like, well, I'm pessimist. It's like, who the hell knows? Are they altruistic? Are they... Are they coming here to conquer us? Are they, do they not care? And they're just going to stomp all over us by accident while doing their thing because they just don't care either way. We don't know. We don't know what they want. We don't, and we are, in this case, we're building it. Just, I think, you know, if, if humanity were a single person, I would say you're an idiot for building this, but humanity is not. And it's a collective and it has a life of its own. You know, the, the collective humanity, I call it the human colossus. It builds and there's not really anything you can do to stop it. Uh, and even if the individuals all say this is bad, it's, it's someone will be building and then you, it's an arms race and then you have to, it just, it builds. And it, it, so progress is happening. The aliens are coming. We are summoning them regardless of whether the, each individual is saying we shouldn't do this. Um, and so I have no idea what it's going to be like. I think we should. And now I, I, the one difference is here. We are actually creating. I, I think it is inevitable that the aliens come because we're going to build this. What's not inevitable is we actually can possibly control the personalities of these aliens and their goals. Maybe not. You know, some people would say we're, you know, Ellie Azarykowski would say we're 50 years away. 
of, of AI alignment research from being able to have any ability to control what they're going to be like and we're, we should stop and do it when we can't, so we, we're, it's, it's doom. And then other people argue that uh, we should be able to actually, uh, uh, Jan LeCun says, you know, we should, we should be able to raise it like children into being who we want it to be. I don't know. We've never built this before, so how, how would I know? I'm not, the AI researchers, the ones actually building it, they don't know how it works or how what's going to happen. So I certainly don't know. And I think a lot of times people's optimism or pessimism in this situation like this is just about who they are. Some people are just optimistic and that's what their default is unless it's officially bad, you know, as they, they know, then they're going to always just default to optimism. And I'm like that. So in my head, deep down, if you set me in a time machine and say I'm pressing 2060 and you get out of the time machine, my Gun to my head, I expect I get out and I'm like, this is awesome. Everything's amazing. That's what I think. Partially because that's what's happened in the past. Someone from 50 years ago or 100 years ago, that's what they would think about today's world. Um, they would think it's incredible mostly. And so I think I'll, I, and I think some other people, they, they assume 26, you get out and it's just, a, it's just either humans are gone or it's just it's back to the stone age or there's an you know AI dictatorship or human dictatorship using AI and we're awful dystopia. Who knows? Are you on board with pressing pause on the development or do you want to see it go? Yeah, I mean, that, there was like that letter. There was like something very basic. It was like these large language models are moving very quickly. Let's press pause on those. Uh, yeah, that just seems wise. Like you're, you're, you're like we're in a car, you know, barreling up a mountain of progress and there's kind of thin ridges and, you know, let's, 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 we don't go off the, let's just, just pause for a second. Let's talk about it. I mean, that's how any smart human would do something important with such high stakes. They would say, but in this case, there, you could also, some people would argue, well, China is not stopping. So you can't get the whole thing to stop and talk mm -hmm. about it. So, you know, it's complicated, but yeah, I mean, I think that going full speed ahead with the only mechanism of, uh, 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 that driving the whole thing is just like ambition to build without any kind of like conscience or like discussion or like or like a bigger picture thinking uh, is obviously not the best plan. Um, I just don't know if it, I don't know if it's realistic. I don't know. I don't know if that does anything. But yes, I'll, I'm all for a pause. If you strive to perform your best in life, bringing your energy and abilities into everything you do, then it only makes sense that you would want to be out on the road with that same power, agility, and performance that everyone expects from you. And there's no better option than the most desirable, advanced, and dynamically capable SUV yet, the third-generation Range Rover Sport. You guys know I love staying on the cutting edge with technology, and the Range Rover Sport's cabin features advanced technologies such as active noise cancellation and cabin air purification, a must, offering you and your family and friends new levels of comfort and refinement while traveling. The Range Rover Sport provides an instinctive drive with engaging on-road dynamics and redefines sporting luxury for the power, agility, and performance you demand in every area of your life. Explore the Range Rover Sport at LandRoverUSA.com. That's LandRoverUSA.com. So given that that seems to have gone unheeded, although there is now some talk about regulation. Um, do you have a, like if you were going to put your ideas in the ring for what the, what we should do with that pause, is it all around alignment? Is it uh, just creating a regulatory environment? Yeah. I mean, um, you know, regular, regulatory stuff is hard here. Cause you, again, you can't, 
you can't halt things. You can't, you know, you can't fully control it and make sure, okay, now we, we, we stopped it and now we can let it go as we please safely. You can't do that. You know, you can maybe do some kind of regulation with giant computing centers, which is needed for this. That's one thing that we have going for us. Is Just that, not let them get too big? Yeah, I mean, maybe. Maybe that we treat them like nuclear reactors in Iran and we're just like, we don't want them to, you know, um, and, and I, that, that's, you know, I, that's one possibility. That's the thing. One thing you have going for us is that you can't at this moment, at least, create super intelligence AI in your basement, your mom's basement, you know, someone genius programmer, because you just need so much raw computational power that right now, you know, big tech almost has a monopoly on like the ability, at least for certain things like large language models, um, to actually train those from scratch, I, I think just requires a, a huge, at least, you know, a, a solid, I don't know if it's just big tech, but you can't just do it from your computer laptop. So yes, I, I, I think um, there should at least be lots of vigorous conversations about regulation and what would you regulate and what is regulatable here and um, what are the risks and what are the pros and cons? I mean, just to be having those vigorous, it should be like, we should be, that should be one of their main political discussions we're having right now and one of the main intellectual discussions we're having. Um, and then, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's like when, when when these new large language models hit, it's just like all these new companies are springing up and it's like this paradigm shift is coming at us very quickly. And yeah, just, just I think pausing to catch our breath and like see what this thing can really do. You have discussions about could this lead to super intelligence or is this a dead end for that? Which, you know, that's a debate right now. Um, could this thing turn into general intelligence, you know, or, or is it not, is it just kind of like a very brute forced, but dumb, big autocorrect, some extremely fancy autocorrect. Is that all it really is? Uh, and it can't understand English. It can't actually understand the words, or is it actually learning to understand concepts? I don't know. And, 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 you know, there's, there's some people to talk about having, you know, GPT-4, Describe what G, how GPT-3 works. Let's experiment with that. Can the AI tell us about the AI? I mean, so I don't know. Right now, I'm just shooting from the hip because, um, uh, A, I just like, I haven't, I haven't dug as deep with this as I will have by the time I finish with this book. But also, I just think it's, um, when we're going into totally unprecedented waters, um, it's, again, if we're discussing the aliens are coming, should we all have our guns or should we create a peace treaty? Or should we... Uh, you know, ignore them or should we, you know, it's like, it's like you can take guesses, but um, I don't know. You know, one of the ways I gauge as a writer who reads, I'll read a, a lot of different people's opinion and I'll, I'll look at what the different lines of thought are when I'm researching something. I, I can tell there's a certain type of topic where the experts are wildly disagreeing with each other, completely opposing each other. And that's what tells me that the species has no idea what it's talking about yet. Mm. You know, once once we start to figure it out, then most of the experts start to, con, you know, and that doesn't mean they're necessarily right, but they're more likely to, it means the species might be starting to figure this one out. Right now, I'm like, the species the, does not know how dangerous AI is, how to make it safer, how great it could be. I also think that we forget that this thing could solve all of our problems if we're still here to have problems. Um and it also could allow, you know, the AI itself could, of course, become super intelligent, which is super scary. But also, um, even if it doesn't, you, you're giving, you know, magic wands to all kinds of people. Um, you know, you're going to be able to um, have a Zoom 
convo with someone who maybe you met online who's been, you know, you started liking their tweets, you DM with them, you became friends, you had a phone call with them, and now you're having a Zoom and we're talking. And you don't know if they're a real person or not. That's crazy. Right? And so that's when you combine the video synthesis and the voice synthesis and then the language. You put those three together, you have a Zoom call with someone and you do not know if that's just some code putting on a pixels on a screen that looks like a person or if that's a human. Mm. And and so we're not that far from that. And then when you have that, what does that mean? You have, so th- there's one debate about, well, will AI become sentient? And if it becomes sentient, that's really scary. Okay, but you don't even need that. You can have people believe that sentient. And so now you th- people think that's a real person and that person can manipulate millions of people um, into voting a certain way, into undermining the support beams undermining trust, convincing people that the election is stolen, just spreading. It's pretty scary because if, if you think about what, there's not some like, you know, it's not like we're on some, the, the liberal house is made of steel bars, physical ones, right? And we can, it's made of you know, these these concepts, these abstract things like trust and shared understanding. And so those who want to erode that will have an easier time. Mm. Liberal democracies have been extremely robust through crazy waves of change. Can they stand up to this? I don't know. I hope they can. I hope this is yet another thing that liberal democracies, man, it even survived this. Or maybe not. Maybe this is the end. We could be, and you have to accept this, scary, but we could be at the end of, of America as we know it. And in 10 years, we're looking back in 20 years, we're saying we did not know how good we had it. Oh my God. Imagine if you just go back and t- you could, you know, and 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 that's real. Um, one of the things I think people should do, or, you know, this isn't even, again, I feel deep down probably optimistic, but I still think... There's countries you want to go to. If there's things you want to do, just enjoying yourself out there. If you want to go and pick up a new hobby, do it. Because I don't know how, you don't know, you shouldn't count on 20 years down the road and you don't know what's going to be going on. You know, you might be sheltering somewhere, trying to find your next meal and being scared of that you're going to get shot by the warlord down the street and thinking about when you could have just picked up and gone on a camping trip. I mean, do the things you want to do now because I don't. you don't know how long it's going to last. God, I hope that does not become do a clip too. that people snap out and it's like they're watching it in the radioactive rubble. I know, uh, it's, it's, it's sad and scary. And it's just, I think we should feel a little sad thinking about it. And um, that, that will help us to be more wiser. The worst thing we can be is cocky and think, America always survived. My parents, my grandparents, they all had risks and they survived theirs and will survive ours. And this is just how things are. And my grandkids are gonna be living in the similar life than I, just that, that attitude will absolutely give us the worst shot at a good future. What scares you more, the collapse of liberal values or AI? Well, I mean, I think they go together. And so, so some people criticize me for saying, you know, why is he so focused on like, you know, the culture war when there's things like AI and nukes and all this. But to me, what I'm really focused on is the house, the liberal house. The culture war to me is a, a kind of a, a mechanism that is destructive to the house. And when it's heating up, that puts the house under more strain. And to me, the liberal house is is not just what has given us a good past, but it gives us the best shot to solve big problems. Mm-hmm. It allows us to be wise as a people because when we have free speech, we can form a giant brain by putting our brains together like neurons and a larger brain and make better decisions. That's how we build this incredible civilization, magical, that no human can do because we actually can have super intelligence together in a place like the liberal house better than in other places. So to me, it's like this house is is not just what allows us to have good times now, but it gives us the best shot of staying in good times and 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 solving big problems and uh 
and rising to challenges. And when the liberal if the liberal house starts to go away and suddenly it's just kind of a war of scary ideologies and everyone's scared and everyone and, and, and people start quarantining their thoughts to their little conversations or to their own head, that's when we become really stupid as a species. And that's when I just think now the threats all are much worse. Now we're much more likely to have nuclear war. Now we are much more likely to build misaligned AI, I think. Um, and so – yeah, so I think they go together. I think in some ways the liberal house is like the it's almost the first thing because it's like it's like put your own mask on before like starting to do stuff. Like let's just make sure that we have like a functioning, you know, societal structure that we are functioning in, and now we can try to solve problems. If the structure fails, like forget the problem. So, mm. but obviously, if if I had to say, okay, you know, what what's more likely to have a safe future? If I could press a button and say AI just goes away or the liberal democracy, uh, the culture war, you know, heats up and starts to really erode our electoral trust and stuff. I think if you zoom way out, probably the safest thing would be to get rid of AI and just accept, yeah, we might just be another civilization that ends up in, you know, f- f- a civil war. And then there are really some bad times, but we're still around. Well, AI could legit extinct everyone. Mm. Um, you know, so, I mean, it's, it's, I think that maybe it's like AI is a bigger risk, but the the thing we can do to control it is like that's why the the the, the liberal house's uh, strength gives us the best shot to do well with this thing which is happening either way. So I guess that's how I see it. That's the thing we can control more is how we're functioning together and how we're having these conversations and how we're solving problems. Yeah, once you stop thinking about the individual and you just start thinking about the society, I agree with you. I am certainly in the short term far more worried about people, certainly people in groups and how that can click over and become madness very fast in all one wave and gets really scary than I am AI. But for sure, if you're like, wow, look, it's only 50, 60 years of like absolutely agonizing turmoil, trauma and loss. But like we come back and I totally agree with you. Most important to me selfishly right now is just like, let's have our society functioning well and Mm. like being not collapsing. If I'm an alien watching Earth and I'm rooting for them to go extinct, I'm thinking I'm not worried about the culture war. I'm like that's not going to extinct them. AI right. might, right? You know, AI. Oh yes, they're making AI. This is <laughs> this is when they're really gonna. This they're they're building the great filter. Mm, great filter. Great I had a crazy filter. thought the other day that like one of the things for the Fermi paradox, which is the paradox mm. of why we don't see evidence of alien life, given that we should see so much of it. Um. And one of the theories is that we might be early, really early. Like maybe there were gamma ray bursts and other hectic kind of conditions in the early universe that made it very hard for intelligent life to develop because planets just got sizzled at some point along the mm. way before enough time had passed. Or or intelligent life did develop and it got sizzled. So now we're actually starting to be one of the first – there's a, one of the many – you know, there's theories that say, no, we're uh, – we might be very rare. Maybe actually it's very unlikely that we got here, but we did. And most of the others don't because they don't ever form complex cells. You know, that's a freak thing that happened. Or there's a, there's theories that say, no, there's a lot of things that get to our level. And then there's something, there's some great filter that they all hit and we're about to hit it ourselves at some point. That's really depressing. Or that, no, there's none of this. And there's tons of species out there. And there's just lots of other reasons we wouldn't have seen them. But the most interesting one to me in some ways is that maybe we're early. And we're one of the very first to get to this level. So there will be a lot, but we ha- someone's got to be early, right? And they're mm. going to th- assume that they must not be, but they are. So maybe that's us. And if that's us, because, you know, one of the things you say is, well, why would we see it's, it? Maybe AI kills off things like us when they build it. But then a we'd see evidence of AI 
going and doing things amongst the stars. So maybe this is the first or one of the very first times that a species has gotten to a level where they can create advanced AI, super intelligent AI, and that something crazy is happening for the whole universe right now, where the AI we're creating here is going to end up being a super predator that all other species forever have to deal with. And it's unlikely. This is dark. No, so it's unlikely. <laughs> it's unlikely because, of course, you know, that, why? What are the chances? But it's just a weird thought that, like, maybe we're we're doing, like, the most important event in cosmic history is currently happening here on Earth. Like, the fact, the Fermi paradox, the fact that we haven't seen any aliens at least gives that a, a, a chance. Like, mm. it's one plausible explanation. So anyway, side topic, but it's just been something I've been thinking about. No, I find that really interesting. So here is my, I have not looked deeply into this, but my gut instinct around the Fermi paradox goes something like this. The least interesting thing a super intelligence could do would be to physically explore the stars. And that what you end up doing without needing to harness the power of a star or anything that dramatic is you just turn inward. And so if we can really create simulations that meld, they don't even have to be like crazy. Um, uh, they don't have to be crazy high fidelity. If, if you're able to jack into your own nervous system, they just have to feel real. And so you would probably two things would happen. Phase number one is you would um, begin manipulating your own neurochemistry, your own physiology, and you would have, call them dreamlike experiences, where you can explore not only infinite universes, but you can explore infinite universes that are not beholden to any sort of laws of physics or even logic. So you can just have these incredible dreamlike states or imagine effectively being able to lucid dream your entire life like that would be pretty intriguing um and then the other would be that if you could and i don't know if i've I've not thought through this well enough to know if you could truly become a self-sufficient energy generating species that lived in a virtual world that's the one thing I, i would you always need a correlate in the real world harnessing energy it's a great question um But if you could, again, going completely digital, you now don't need to be bouncing around the universe, especially a universe, at least from our corner of it, that's just so empty. Like there's so much The distances are so huge. It's so expensive to go. I have a feeling long before you figure out how to bend space time. You just upload to some magical virtual world. Um, You go, you know, right? And uh, and why would you deal with also like biology? Yep. Why would you deal with biology? And why would you deal with physics in the universe uh, when you could just go into, yeah, you could just upload. What's interesting is maybe if one of the characteristics of this thing that advanced civilizations do when they upload themselves is that they don't like to, they, they, they if they know it's fake, then it doesn't do as much for them. Mm. So they create the situation where they don't know that it's not real, which means you might be in one right now. Right. And either I'm in it too, because we share it, you go in and there's lots of other consciousnesses, or you're in your own little brain vat and we're all figments of your imagination. We're, we're, we're all just created for the simulation and you're the only consciousness here. That or could there be. is no consciousness and it's all a simulation. Well, you know there's consciousness because you have it. I guess I don't know you have it, but meat I know I have based, it. Meat-based, I should say. Right. There's no meat-based. 
So are you, when you say brain vats, do you mean literal brain vats? Yeah, no, no. The concept of uploading, the more fancy version of that. Which so is, we are a simulation, but we're all conscious. Maybe. I'm just, at least I'm just, one of us. It's just there's a chance. There's always a chance that this is currently what's happening. Mm-hmm. And, and of course, there's also the theories that we are all one similar, sim, you know, we are in a simulation of a of some other species that does these things and we're one of them and there's way more simulations in existence than real ones because you can create a trillion simulations mm-hmm. one species so it's much more likely we're in one than not that's this, this nick bostrom line of argument um but that's another solution to the fermi paradox because you'd say okay well you know if you're it's like a minecraft world it's just like a rendered universe mm. and they don't spend that much time on it so why would they program other species into it they're trying to study us so they build a universe around us and see how long it takes us to figure out what's going on or whatever and that's that's the experiment or not i don't know but maybe there's lots of other things in this simulation but i think that when i look back at people who had thought the earth was flat or thought that the stars were the underside of the dome of heaven you know they feel so in the dark they feel so like wow you just didn't know about reality look at this conversation we're having like so yeah we know more than they did about this particular situation we don't know what the universe is. We don't know if it's one of those things where you go really far in one direction, you come back from the other side eventually. Mm. Like it's this four-dimensional kind of self-contained space where it's, you know, um, like a 4D version of when you walk straight in line on the earth, eventually you'll come back from the other direction. Maybe it's, a, we don't know. We don't know if it's a hologram. Uh, that's a theory. We don't know if it's part of a frothing multiverse. We all know if we're in a simulation, we don't know if there's a creator because if it's a simulation, there is a creator, like religious style, we, there's a creator. Um, and, and we don't know if that creator would have our consciousness recycled somewhere else. So there could be an afterlife, like even if you're not religious. The fact go, that we don't go deeper on that—that that doesn't make sense to me. So just say, you know, if you're if you just think we're in a cold, dark physical universe, and you're an atheist, which is mm-hmm. how I grew up, it's pretty grim because you don't have any hope for an afterlife. You think you you die and it's just lights out and that's it. Mm-hmm. And I was always jealous of people who believed in an afterlife because man, they could have even if they weren't sure, they just had some hope. But now uh, I have two lines of hope as an atheist that I've developed. One is just concept of cryonics right now or whatever, that future tech will allow humans to live a lot longer or to upload their consciousness or whatever. And so, again, I wouldn't put my money on it necessarily that I live to 500, but I would. It's a, it's definitely a non-zero chance. And I didn't grow up thinking that. I thought everyone dies by 110 or whatever. So... Um, Uh, There is that possibility, genuine, and that's, again, as an optimist, a little hope goes a long way for my psyche to be like, ah, so it's probably going to happen, you know? And then the whole other line of thought is that if we are created, we are in a simulation. It means that, what am I? I'm just like a a program in the simulation. And when I die, as far as I know, one of the things that that creator does is they take, you die and you end up somewhere else where now you're going to be interviewed by the simulator and you're going to go live in some happy world that they put you... Who, who knows? It could be anything. But there's no reason to think that it's lights out, that they, they could take that code. And they say, no, 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 that code, that person's learned so much. Now we send them to the next thing where given what they've learned, we want to do another, t- you know, another set of world, a world that they live in. I just don't know. The point is there's a non-zero chance that the simulator, again, it's very religious it's sounding. It's like there's a creator who can do what they want with my soul, my code after. And um, those two things Give me this little, like, the sky, the gray sky, like, a little bit of blue sky is there. I'm like, hey, who knows? And that's all I want is just the, the, who knows? That's, if you're, if you're, if your starting place is, there's nothing. There's just blackness after death and for non-existence for eternity. That's pretty, that's a pretty grim starting point. You can only go up from there. So a little hope, I'll take it. (laughs) 
Now, I've heard you say that nobody wants to live forever. That is true. Help me reconcile. No, some people want, some clouds. people think they want to live forever for sure. I definitely do. I definitely people. thought I did. Mm-hmm. And then I wrote a post on this thing called Graham's number. So, but why then do you consider the possibility of an afterlife to be a parting of the clouds? Because I can choose. I can, I, I, if I, I actually once did a post asking readers, uh, how long would you, if you had a calculator. Is this Graham's could, number? No. You could type in any number and that's how many years you're going to live. What would you type in? Right. And again, some people, I said there's an infinity button. Some people hit that. And oh, I think that I'll explain day. why that is very wrong. You're going to have to, because I am convinced. But I would say 5,000 years. When I, came, I said 50 centuries is a nice chunk of time. 50 centuries, I could do a lot. And, you know, I probably, you know, you know, granted, I'm sure on century 49, I'd suddenly be like, I wouldn't be like, I'm ready. I'd be like, no, I have so much more, of course. But at least give me 50 centuries. Give me 10 centuries. One century is nothing. Think about how recent the year 2000 was. Yeah. Remember Y2K? Mm-hmm. That was almost a quarter century ago. We get like, we get max a century. So that's a quarter of a human life since Y2K. This is, we, we are, this is not enough time. So I'm parting in the clouds because I want my other 49 centuries. Maybe I would like 400 centuries. I'd like my ability to choose. I want to choose. And I think once we are in a world where people decide when it's time to bow out and there's a whole ritual and there's a ceremony and it's beautiful and everyone says goodbye to them and they do this all this closure and they've chosen and everyone respects that. And it's a whole new, you know, culture that's built around this concept. Is They'll look back on today when everyone got taken by their dying mammal that they live in in the hundred year first hundred years and some people got taken really early and they lose loved ones and people still want to live it is so sad and so tragic and like it is heartbreaking reality we all live in now that said i would much prefer to die at 80 or today than to have hit the infinity button really yes what graham's number so before if i if before i wrote about graham's number Graham's number, for reference, is just uh, it's, it's there's you know these endless giant numbers you could conceive of, but this one is famous because it's, it's one of the biggest numbers ever used in an actual mathematical proof. So it's a real number that mathematicians have used. Right. And before I knew about this, I would have said something like, "The biggest number." Okay, well you know what a Googleplex is? A Google is one with a hundred zeros. Mm-hmm. So that's a you it's could big number. I could write a Google in two minutes, one yep. minute, one minute of little zeros that are done. Okay. You would have to have the universe packed with tiny grains of sand, packed all directions, all to the observable universe. And that is one ten billionth of a Google grains of sand. So you'd have to now go on to – so the, what a Google Plex is, is it's one with a Google zeros. So now picture – you're, each of those tiny grains of sand has 10 billion microscopic zeros written on it. And every direction for billions of light years in every direction is just sand, 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 tiny grains of sand. Each one has 10 billion zeros. That is, that is the number Googleplex. So that so that's a Google zeros. Now, the number Googleplex, of course, is – this is just writing it out. That's just writing the number. So I would have said before something like the biggest number I could conceive of is like a Googleplex to the Googleplex power. And then I started, and I'm not going to get into it fully here because it's it's a, it's it's very nerdy. But basically, if you start just doing this, you can have these iterations of science. So addition is iterated counting. So I can go one, two, three, four, five, or I can just go one plus four and shoot all the way to five. I can go five, 10, 15, 20, 25, or I can go five times five and skip it and just just it's like it's like you're you're doing a shortcut. An addition shortcut is multiplication. 
a multiplication shortcut is exponentation. So I can say three times three times three, or I could say three to the third, right? Three to the hundredth. And that's just two numbers as opposed to writing three times three hundred times. And so the point is that's, so you go addition, multiplication, exponentation, you can keep going. And you can go to the next and next and next and next. And you keep going, crazy things start to happen where like a Googleplex to the Googleplex power is like, child's play you realize it's like nothing so anyway if someone's actually nerdy enough to like that they can go search rapo y graham's number and read it but the point is that some of these numbers get so big that it literally like gives me nightmares thinking about how big the number is okay so three to the third to the third to the third just that little four tower is like is like a size of a googleplex now what if that tower went all the way to the sun and now if the, the, you multiply that tower out and that's the height of the next tower and you just keep going for, you can, the point is you very quickly get to a place where it's like no one would want to be conscious for anywhere near that long. And then you could just keep going. So I promise you, you don't want to be conscious forever. It would be, tor- the worst torture is living forever that someone could possibly imagine. It's just too much time. The amount of time is scary that you'd have to be around. It's scary to think about. It's interesting. I'm not persuaded by that at all. So here is um, what I have found is when two intelligent, well-meaning people disagree, they have different base assumptions. And if for what you're saying to make sense, one of your base assumptions is that there is some stacking level of fatigue and that as that fatigue grows, you just can't imagine being alive. What I would say is, Let's play a game that I play with myself all the time whenever I'm getting overwhelmed by uh, the past. And that is to say, what if I literally just came into existence right now, this second, and all of my memories are just context so that I, as a meet AI, uh, can keep moving forward, that I I have enough contextual information that I can have a decision-making rubric and so I can move forward. I could ask the exact same question in the opposite direction. What if I have existed forever, but you just have this either looping uh, memory setup or you uh, forget everything beyond the last 25 years or last thousand years, if you're comfortable with a thousand years. Once you remove that I'm going to take sort of psychic scars and and have this ever-increasing psychic fatigue... Why would you ever want to unplug? But if you're if you're looping memory, isn't that just living the living a bunch of different lives? That's like reincarnation. You're not really you. So you might as well be someone else. You could say that when you die, a new kid is born, and that might as well be you with your memory now looped. Yeah. And so I I'm trying to soothe you, not me. So I don't believe that it stacks with like these psychic scars or that I will at any point um want to reset. But I am also very cognizant that you those in in a meat suit for sure assuming we are meat suits whatever this is yeah if i'm the only conscious being and everybody else is not uh i have to be very careful not to let those things stack and this is why people ask me all the time so hey you're wealthy you've already succeeded why are you working so hard and the reality is because i understand the way the human mind works which is you can never eat a meal so satisfying that you'll never be hungry again so i've just completely given myself over to the nature of the human animal that i will always want to strive i will always want progress i will always want to grow and be more um and so in giving myself over to that never thinking that there is a finish line the only thing that bums me out the gray clouds are I will run out of the ability to generate ATP long before I run out of things that I'm passionate about. And so 
that is the thing that scares me is living a life that lacks meaning or something that just energizes you to the extreme. That would be scary. But I, I have not, I don't want to bullshit you. I would say I've not known a day where I didn't have that sort of drive and okay, but that's, it's not so, quite you, true, so, but. so you're saying that here, you know, here's my life so far. And what I see is a, is an atom. Okay. This is, this is what I've lived so far. And on this atom, it's always been good and I've never yep. wanted to not be around, never even begun to fatigue. Yep. And now you're saying, so therefore, if we pack the observable universe with atoms, so they're touching each other all everywhere, mm. and then each of those universes gets shrunk down to the size of an atom and we pack the universe with yeah. universes of atoms, right? And we just keep doing that. Yes. You're confident that on all of those atoms – it's going to be a life worth living. You're not going to be begging to be unconscious and saying this is – that is a lot of confidence from having experienced one <laughs> atom. And again, you can keep doing this. You can now do this a a, a universe so of atoms number of times. Is your base assumption that in all of that amount of time, something is statistically likely to go so wrong that I will want out of this? It's that the amount of time is so vast mm-hmm. – it is, it, it is I'm saying, I wrote this post and you have to actually like read the post step by step to for a second. No, you just, got me there. Like I understand but, what but, you're but, saying. But, but, but it's like you, you don't even, because I don't even right now. It's like, <laughs> it's like, it's like, it's like, it's even what I just said about the universe full of atoms and then smaller. That is like in the, in the post, that's like a joke. What I just said. It's like the, the, the scale of Graham's number is, and, and then you could say like Graham's number, um, a Graham number time, whatever it is is so crazy that it's just like there's there's no way you don't go completely mad and it's like does all of your anxiety go away if i say you can kill yourself at any time of course okay so this yeah, is yeah, just yeah. That, no my I optimal can't... situation is that is that is that death becomes voluntary and people can bow out when they're ready i would lo- i would love to press the infinity button on like someone else forcing me to die i would admittedly press the infinity button i won't lie but i would be much more the, comfortable that thought if i had an exit yeah that thought experiment is that you have to you there's nothing you can do to kill yourself you right. will be conscious for that amount of time and yeah. um and the infinity button you, you would are you worried about being alone are you worried about suffering what's the it's um did you see the black mirror episode where there's a black mirror episode where a guy is a it's a simulated guy whatever he's a real consciousness and is in this house and the people who are running his simulation it's like every minute that goes by for them is a thousand years for him Ooh, i don't think so what i don't think i've seen it okay i get it but the point is every minute that goes by for them is a thousand years of experience for this guy just in the house mm. and this is a sick show. It likes to do really sick concepts. So they say, you know, they say, should we, um, uh, okay, should we, should we like shut him off now? No, let's like, let's like leave him, leave him for the next few days. And so I did the calculation. I was like, he's in there for suddenly for 2 million years and he just can't, he, whatever. And again, that is like, so, so that's a moment when you're like, oh my God. So e- even if you were living like a rich life, like 2 million years, they just, and again, this is nothing compared to the, the vastness of time is a very scary concept to me mm. if you had to be there for it. It's like we can't even conceive of a, a million years. A thousand millennia is very hard for us. But that is like, okay, you know, you can kind of picture a millennium and you can picture a thousand, but, a, but then, yeah. So I, 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 I challenge you to read the Graham's number post and then tell me that you want to press the infinity button 
because I don't, I don't, I don't think you do. All right, I'll check it out for sure. Yeah. Dude, this has been amazing. Where can people find you? My blog, wait, but why? And my email address is how people. My email list, which is you can just find that on any blog post of mine at the bottom, is how people know when I post something new because I don't do it regularly. I do it sporadically, and so people should sign up for the email list. And then Twitter, wait, but why? I love it. All right. All right, guys, if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe. And until next time, my friends, be legendary. Take care. Peace.